Sunday, April the 23rd. Welcome to this Burlington Audio Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired in your faith as you listen to this message. We'd love to hear what you think. Please be in touch with us through the website. More information and many more podcasts are all at burlingtonbaptist.org.uk. Thanks for listening. Walking with God. Walking with God. We're going to go back to this kind of theme of what, of thinking about, um, like what's it like? And today perhaps what should we expect if we are walking, um, with God? You remember before Easter, we went on a bit of a journey that the heart of what God invites us into is relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus prayed that they might be in us, we in them, they in us. So that sense that we're being called to be in relationship with the very heart of who God is and that we step into that relationship by understanding God as Father, which is both a wonderful thing and a challenging thing because of our own uh, experiences, perhaps, of Father and uh, so on. And then we began to look at different ways we might actively say yes and step in. And you may remember that just before um, Easter, can you just see if, um, Mark, can you just see if that lady needs some help? Uh, just before Easter, I was thinking about the ways that we might want to keep our distance from God. God kind of says, hey, I want you to come close and be in relationship with me. And we kind of deep in our spirit somewhere go, mm, no thanks. I'm not sure I want to get that close to you. What, what's that all about? Why would we keep our distance from an unconditionally all loving God? But sometimes actually we do. And uh, we looked at some of the reasons why. So if you missed some of that, I'd really encourage you to get back and get yourself plugged into some of those uh, podcasts and pick up the journey. So we're learning to walk with God, to know that God is with us. And if God is with us, then this is the, the one idea for this morning. If God is with us, we should expect to see some stuff. Don't you reckon? We should expect to see some stuff. And in fact, the scriptures, and in fact, the verses that uh, Shell read to us, talk about that expectancy. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. In other words, we can't over-spiritualize it and say, do you know what, God is really good, and when I get to heaven, I'll believe it. But actually, in the land of the living, in this side of eternity, I will see, I will know, I will experience the goodness of God in the land of the living. So if we're walking with God, and we are to expect that we would see his goodness, what does that mean for you? What would we expect to see if we're walking with God? Welcome back, Alan. Really nice to have you join us. How are you doing today, sir? Excellent. Have I embarrassed you enough? I know. (laughs) For everyone who's really nervous, I'd only do it with those that are comfortable. (laughs) Turn to the person next to you. What would we expect to see if we're walking with God? Go.
Okay, what would you expect to see? If we are walking with God, what would we expect to see? Fruits of the Spirit. Trouble that we can only walk through with Him. In this world you will have trouble, but I have overcome the world. New desires. Answers to prayer. His anointing. Beauty. Nice. Beauty. Persecution. Not so nice, but true. Fruitfulness. Perspective. Interesting. Yeah, perspective. Perspective. Okay, yeah, super. God's peace and presence through difficult times. So, on a scale of 1 to 10, how expectant are you today that you will see the goodness of God? I find that question really challenging. Because it's easy to expect that I will at some point see the goodness of God. You with me? Um, and we talk about it, don't we, when we go to kind of special things like, you know, the young people away at their weekend, we expect them to encounter God. You go off to Spring Harvest, as some of you did, we expect to encounter God there. But the most famous of Psalms, which is Psalm 23, what does it say in verse 6? You know it, come on. Will run after us. Which days, Margaret? All the days. All the, now that's annoying, isn't it? That that should be in there. Really? Because I could cope with the possibility that one day in the future, I might experience the goodness of God and cling on to that. But what if the reality of walking with God is that I should expect to see his love and grace or his love and mercy or his goodness and mercy. doesn't matter which translation you go for, really. All of that's true. All the days. So the day when we're walking through trouble and difficulty, the day when we're persecuted, the day when the prayers get answered, the day when we're at peace and contented, the day when the miracle happens, the day when the miracle doesn't happen, what does it mean for the goodness of God all the days of my life. I find that really quite difficult. I don't know about you. I find it difficult to look for, to intentionally look and seek out the reality of God's goodness every day. I think I know why I find it difficult. Do you know why you find it difficult? Maybe you don't. But assuming that you do, and I know most of you well enough to know there's an element of truth in that. Assuming that you do, do you know why? So I find it difficult to look intentionally every day, expectant to see the goodness of God, because I carry disappointment. I'm disappointed with God in some measure. It's not that I'm not amazed by God. 
It's not that I'm not staggered by his love. It's not that I can't recount a thousand ways in which he's blessed me and us. It's not that I can't look back with a huge sense of gratitude and see miracle after miracle. But there are things around me that I'm disappointed about. And I think God could do something about it. Who's with me? So I'm disappointed with God in some measure. And that stops me, if I'm not careful, looking expectant for the goodness of God, because what I see, if I'm not careful, is a disappointment. Anyone know what I'm talking about? And that's a problem. That's my problem. I need to name that and own that. And actually, am I going to live under that level of disappointment? Or am I going to learn to walk and surrender it and so on? Disappointment is one main reason why I, personally, find it hard every day to anticipate and to look for the goodness of God. Second reason that I find it hard is that I am a future-focused person. So I'm always thinking about the future, what's next. That's been helpful over the years for us as a church. Otherwise, we might still be where we were 30 years ago. So there's a, a gift in that of thinking about what's next, thinking about where we're going. And not everybody sees the world like that. I see the world. Now, the problem with seeing the world like that is I think less about today and more about tomorrow. So I miss the goodness of God under my nose because I'm anticipating the goodness of God that one day will come. You with me? So for me, it's a challenge to celebrate and put down markers along the way because I'm always into the future. God does something amazing and I'll go, what next? Rather than, that was brilliant, and savour the moment. Some of you are really good at going, that's brilliant, and savouring the moment. And others of you are less good at going, what next? Is there a next? I'm just here. God bless you. So, disappointment for me, the fact that I'm future-focused. The third thing for me that's a, a particular challenge is that, again, because of my particular personality type, I'm problem-focused. Now, that's a good thing if there's a problem, and there's loads of problems. It's not a good thing, really, in a way, because there are too many problems. So if you're problem-focused, you get overwhelmed, which is part of my story. It's easy to be overwhelmed by what's wrong rather than celebrate what's right. Because I'm problem-focused in the day, I can miss the goodness of God in the day, because I'm looking in the wrong place. So those are three ways in which, for me, it's a personal challenge to look and to expect the goodness of God every day. Assuming that it's difficult for you to look for the goodness of God every day. Now, if it's not, you can just sit out on this one and go, I've got 100% in this. I can just sit out for a few minutes and we'll call you back a bit later on. If you've got this licked, don't worry about this exercise. Just put up with it very patiently for the rest of us. Okay, but if you haven't got it licked, what's the story for you? What stops you being expectant of, it should say, of seeing God's goodness each day? Not in the future, each day. What stops you? You've got 60 seconds to think and to chat to the voices in your head. And then you're going to have 60 seconds to chat to the voices around you. What stops you being expectant of seeing God's goodness today?
For those of you about to self-combust, 10 seconds to go. There you go. You can turn that into conversation. For those of you who never thought you could be quiet for a minute, you've just done it. Well done. Congratulations. Off you go. What stops you being expectant of seeing God's goodness today? Anyone, um, you don't have to respond in quite the same way, but uh, and any of you with something that you've just shared that uh, would be illustrative of something different? If you don't want to say something about yourself, say, I've got a friend that, and then we'll know that it's not you, yeah? <laughs> no, we will. We'll trust you if that's what you say. Okay, not being intentional enough to have my day with Jesus. Yeah, intentionality. Julie? (laughs) Is that your friend, Julie? Yeah, absolutely. Busyness, distraction, they're the killers, actually, aren't they, of seeing God at at work, which is to your perspective thing, actually. Lose perspective on what's happening. Something else? Absolutely. We ask God to help us and then we don't let him. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't work out too well, does it, in the end? Yeah, we can feel that, Emma. Okay. Sure, yep. Not starting the day right, not being able to stand on his promises. And that actually is, you know, why kind of getting a good grasp of scripture is so important, because you can't stand on what you don't know. And um, it's quite old school, isn't it, to know parts of the Bible. But actually, those that, that what people learnt as kids and teenagers carried them through the whole of their lives. And we need to grasp hold of scriptural truths. Great. What should we do about all this, Sam?
What would you like to do about all of this? Yeah, thanks, Alice. I think when, when you know, when you know what it is that stops you, then once you can name it, you begin to deal with it, can't you? What we, what we can't name in our lives, what we don't understand, what we ne- remains a mystery to us, will always keep us in a kind of bondage because we don't understand that it's there and what it's doing. But as we can begin to, to name, to articulate, to extrovert the particular challenges that we face, then we can begin to create strategies to help us with them. Now, there are all, always several kinds of strategies. There's the, um, and they all need to work together. And the danger with any strategy is we push one aspect of dealing with a strategy to its limit and we avoid the others. So we might say, well, I'm going to pray about it and I'm going to surrender it to God. That's a really important strategy. I'm not wanting to undermine that at all. But if all you do is pray about it and you never take any physical action in the real world about it, guess what? You know, for example, if you're praying that you're going to win the lottery, you need to buy a ticket. And you also need to come to me in confession. Because there's a strategy, isn't there, about I'm, 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 giving, I'm surrendering this to God, but then I need to walk that strategy out in the real world. So I'm asking you, God, to help me be more intentional in my day. And to help me do that, I'm choosing in the morning to put you first, intentionally to give you some time. I... Surrender my busyness and my distractedness and my sense of overwhelm and I'm choosing to create some space in my life, trusting that you will organize everything else. That's an issue of trust ultimately, isn't it? When we're busy, it's an issue of trust. Can we trust that God's stuff will still happen even if we don't do it? It doesn't all depend on us question of trust. So can you see we need both the, both the kind of we're going to surrender this to God and we're going to work it out in our physical, everyday lives. And, and those two things always need to go together. Otherwise, we give it all to God and do nothing and get stuck. Or we do everything, like Emma was talking about, and we don't give it to God and we get stuck. So either way, we get stuck. And then next week, when I say, have you seen the goodness of God this week? You'll go, no. Why? Because you were stuck. Because it's not one or the other. And we'll both, we'll have natural tendencies, won't we? We'll have natural tendencies when we're trying to fix something. Some of us will pray harder, some of us will work harder. The truth is not at both ends. Well, the truth is at both ends rather than in the middle. There's stuff that we have to do as we surrender things to God. So I'd really encourage you to really drill down a little bit to understand why It's sometimes difficult for you to wake up tomorrow morning and expect that by the end of the day, you will have experienced God's goodness, because that's the promise. And I think one of the the, the kind of third part of the strategy for me is the surrender piece, piece, the working it out in your everyday, what are you going to actually do about it? The third part of the strategy for me is gratitude. Is gratitude. But at the end of the day, I'm going to look back And I'm going to identify where I saw the goodness of God, 
Even those places where I saw the goodness of God when I missed it in, at the moment. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Sometimes I get to the end of the day and think, that was amazing, but I missed it in the rush of the day. God answered that prayer. That was a really significant conversation. I felt something really significant in that moment, but in, in the, in the, I didn't spot it. So unless I stop at the end of the day with a level of intentionality, Lord, help me as I think back over today, what am I grateful for? Where have I seen you at work? Or where have you been at work and I've missed it? And that begins to prepare me for the next day. Because if God was at work today, and I saw some of his goodness today, hey, there's a better chance I might see it tomorrow. You with me? But if I go to bed tonight, and I'm not conscious that I've seen God's goodness today, then I'll probably assume I won't see it tomorrow either. And we know that story, don't we? And we lose perspective, and we lose sight of what God is doing. So the Bible's full of expectation about what we might uh, see. And uh, I'm just going to share a few of you, just a few of them, just so that uh, faith might rise a little bit. As you walk with God, we can expect hearts to change. Your heart and others' hearts. Zacchaeus, we mentioned earlier, had a change of heart. Saul met Jesus and had a change of name and a change of heart. Nehemiah had a boss who was the ruler of the known world. And he had ordered the Jews to be crushed. And he'd ordered the Jews to be crushed because he had been told that the Jews were getting stronger and they threatened his kingdom. Nehemiah heard about the effect on his people, the Jews, and the way that they'd been crushed. And he wanted to go to his boss and say, will you help me go and help the Jews that you have crushed rebuild their lives? In other words, will you help me go back to them and give strength to those people that you fear are against your power and authority? And what did the Persian ruler say? Yes, go on, and I'll help you. Because Nehemiah prayed. So hearts can change. Is there a heart that you would love to see change? And with hearts changing, we can expect habits to change. We can expect habits to change. Do you know what? I'm not who I was and I'm not who I will be either. We can expect habits to change. Things can change. What's the secret? Surrender, intentionality, taking what we surrender to Jesus and working it out in the present, and gratitude. We can expect habits to change. Transform from glory into glory. We can expect health to change. That's a hard one, isn't it? That's a hard one. And we feel the disappointment of that. Be no one in the room who probably didn't respond with a level of disappointment. We want to respond with a whoop. Was that a spiritual thing, a whoop? Probably. And the reason we respond with disappointment is that, is that our hearts are heavy for where we haven't seen God change health. But that's about where we're looking again, isn't it? I can remember as a teenager leading the then youth group in our church. And uh, 
And it was simple back then. We used to pray for loads of non-Christians and almost all of them would get healed. I haven't experienced that since those days. And I've got my theories about those days, which is probably another, another sermon. But I remember how it all started. It all started by God raising my level of expectation about what was possible. And uh, we'd been away to uh, Spring Harvest, which was in its infancy back then and was super, in, you've heard me talk before, super influential uh, on me, both in terms of what it taught me and the experience of God that it, it gave me. And we'd been away with a group from our church and they'd seen God do all kinds of amazing things. Some people had got healed and stuff. And it was the first youth meeting back after Spring Harvest. It's every youth leader's utter nightmare. You know, what are you going to do with these people that are all excited and think God can do stuff? And it was worse than that because Mandy came in. That's a real name. Whoops, we're on internet. (laughs) That is a real name, but there we go. We're going to go with that. She's cool about it, I'm sure. She'll have to be now. She came in uh, hobbling. I'm thinking, you can't make this up, can you? We've just been to Spring Harvest where everyone gets healed, and she comes in hobbling. And so what do all the young people want to do? Pray for her. How responsible do I feel? Nothing's going to happen. I'm rehearsing all the reasons why God probably doesn't heal back where we live, and he only does it at Spring Harvest. I'm already trying to explain in my head so that I can explain to them why nothing would happen. And yet they want to pray for her. I want to leave the room. And so we prayed for her. And and as soon as we started to pray, uh, she fell to the floor. They talk about people being slain in the spirit, but that's something quite different. That's Ananias and Sapphira. You can read about that in Acts. Actually, she was just overcome with the spirit. She wasn't slain. She was still alive and breathing well. And got up a few minutes later and her leg was totally healed. Uh, And I was more surprised than anybody in the room. Still wanted to give them my 25 reasons why God probably wouldn't have done it. And this was just a lucky one who had their fingers crossed. But But it raised a level of faith and expectation that helped us the next time. And helped us the next time. And helped us the next time. And we saw loads of people healed. In fact, you were more likely to be healed if you didn't believe in Jesus than if you did. I can't quite figure that out either. But that just was the reality of it. Now, in the midst of that, we even saw people healed of cancer and all kinds of stuff. I mean, God did amazing things. In the midst of that, some of our closest friends died. Some some of our closest friends walked through absolute agonies. And we cried out to God. And, and Now, I don't understand that. I, I don't understand that, and I, you know, and loads has been written about that, and everyone who writes about it doesn't understand it either. That's why they write about it. They don't understand it either. They just pretend that they do. They don't understand it, but they write books about it, and uh, sometimes we're foolish enough to buy books about it in the hope that we'll find the answer. And you get to the end of the book, and you realize you've given them your money, and you still don't know the answer because they didn't know the answer in the first place. So that's a friend. I've never done that. Um, I don't know why, but I do know this. The more we expect, the more we see. So I do know this. The more we surrender, the more we see. The more intentional we are with what we're doing, the more we see. And the more grateful we are, the more we see. That's all I know. That's kind of it. That's my complicated thesis this morning, really. That we just see more. 
when we expect more and when we act on those expectations. And honestly, one of the challenges to encourage each other is not to allow the disappointment to sit in a way that stops us surrendering and being intentional and living with a sense of uh, gratitude. And uh, God bless Mandy, who's still a deacon, by the way. She was a 13, 14-year-old then, still a deacon in the church that I was just talking about. What about that one? Sometimes I can't expect that. Sometimes I can't. Heart's too heavy. Other days, other days, I can't help but see God answering that prayer again and again and again. One of the greatest miracles in our church is God healing heartaches. Happening all the time. Obviously, it's personal sometimes and deep, and we're trying to think all the time ways of sharing that appropriately, but it's just, uh, you know, the wholehearted journey and stuff. Jesus is doing uh, wonderful stuff. Jesus is outside time, of course, isn't he, so he can heal heartaches. So I've met Jesus in all kinds of places in my life where he's healed heartaches of mine, back as a, as a little baby, back as a, as a three-, four-year-old child, back as a teenager, where in moments when I felt alone, when I felt abandoned, when I felt rejected, all I could feel is the kind of uh, uh, sense of abandonment around me. I've known Jesus meet me there. I can't totally understand and explain how that works, other than Jesus isn't confined by time. So if he wants to meet me back then, he can do that. And I'm grateful to him for that. And there's a beautiful healing that comes as a result of that. Is there a heartache that you no longer expect to change? And you've settled in with the heartache. You've made friends with it. Do you know what I mean? You don't like it, but you've become comfortable with it as a way of managing it. And actually, it's quite hard to expect it to change because that's a vulnerable place. It opens you up to disappointment. But maybe there's a heartache right now, and you'll know what it is because it'll be burning in the back of your head as I'm talking. That God wants to touch, that God wants to heal. Expect heartaches to change. Expect homes to change. God changes families. Hey, we could go on, couldn't we? Expect hostilities to change. Can I tell you about Edith Parsons? Now, that is her real name, and she's long dead, so it's okay. She's not going to be listening to it on the internet anytime soon, unless there's things about heaven that I don't understand, which may well be the truth. Edith Parsons was old by anybody's standards. As a young teenager, she was super old, and she had hairs growing out of her chin, which in my mind women didn't tend to have, but she did, bless her. And she was a cantankerous old bat. <laughs> Honestly. Miserable to the core, Edith Parsons, God bless her. Joking aside, she'd had a ridiculously hard life, I would think. Or at least I'm making excuses for her now. I hope she did, otherwise it made no sense. And I remember walking down the road one day with... Uh, another member of our church in that day. And I don't know how you got onto the conversation about it, but you know when, you know when someone's horrible and everybody knows it, but no one can talk about it because you're a church? Yeah? And if you don't know who that person is in this church, then maybe it's... 
we're having fun this morning, aren't we? <laughs> anyway, anyway, so it was like one of these moments when you just couldn't talk about it. You know, everybody knew she was a right battle axe, but, but who could say? Because that's not a very Christian thing to say, is it? You know, you're horrible to the core. Doesn't kind of, can't find the verse for that. Uh, but anyway, this, this, this older Christian started opening up to me about how difficult she had found Edith Parsons over the years. How hurt and broken she'd been by it. And, uh, and then she said, do you know what? I've asked God to help me love her. Now that was a revelation. Well, why do you bother doing that? I'd ask God to help me love her. Wow. There's a thought. A few weeks later. How's it going? For the first time in my life, I love Edith Parsons. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? That's, a, that's an amazing thing. The power of that relational reality is an amazing thing. Because at the heart of the gospel is repairing what's broken. And I don't know, was I 15 years of age? And I'm now 26, so I, and I still remember it. Because of the profound impact that moment had, that hostilities could change. That it could be different. Because do you know what we say sometimes to the Edith Parsons of our lives? They'll never change. And because they'll never change, and you might be right, although hearts can change, as we heard some moments ago, you might be right that they'll never change. That doesn't mean that that whole relationship can't change, because you can change. Is there a hostility where God is asking you to change? History can change, of course. And so often it does. So often it does. Let's leave that for now. All right, here we go. What are you expecting as you walk with God this week? What are you expecting? What can you leave church this morning expecting that you weren't expecting when you came in through the doors? Make sense? Some of you will have an idea instantly. It's just there. You've got it. Take hold of it. It's a gift from God for you. Other of you need just to pause and tune in and listen. Let's do that for a moment, shall we? Holy Spirit, help us. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me on the 23rd of April 2023 today. What are you expecting as you walk with God this week?
Thank you, Jesus. I'm asking, Lord, that you would give revelation to us. Because what we do know is if we are walking hand in hand, side by side, with the living God, who changes lives and hearts and homes and cities and towns, changes relationships, changes people's health, changes people's heartaches, we should expect to see you at work. Help me, help us this week to expect to see you at work. Help me today, before my head hits the pillow, to expect to have seen the goodness of God. And if I get to the end of today and I cannot see it yet, as I look back, help me to see the goodness that I've missed. And may I sleep grateful today for the goodness of God at work in my life, or in my home, in my family, in my marriage, in my workplace, in my street, in my neighborhood, the goodness of God. Just going to spend some time responding as Simone and the band come and lead us. And maybe there's a place you know where you need to be touched today. There's a disappointment. There's a heartache. There's a stumbling block that, that stops you looking, anticipating, expectant. For many of us, we can be expectant for everybody else, but it's hard to be expectant for ourselves. Help us, Jesus, to understand what our issues are, to name them before you so that we can surrender them to you. Jesus, help us, we pray. Thank you.